Welcome back to Spoonful of Sugar. This is your weekly reminder that we are accepting applications for our Spoonful of Sugar student board through December 15th. So if you are a medical student and you're interested in getting involved with a leadership position on the Spoonful of Sugar student board, please visit spoonfulofsugar.org apply for more information. In the meantime, we are always looking for medical students who have taken USMLE Step 1 to get involved with our team by hosting episodes on topics that you find important for the USMLE Step 1. So if you're interested in hosting an episode and sharing some knowledge with your peers, um, please contact us through either spoonfulofsugar.org, um, Instagram, or Twitter. Um, always reach out to us if you're interested in getting involved, and we would love to have you join our team. Now, I'd like to present our latest episode on antiarrhythmics, uh, hosted by third-year medical students at the University of South Carolina School of Medicine, Greenville, Darby Billing and Michelle Troop. Hope you enjoy. Hey, future doctors. Thanks for tuning in to Spoonful of Sugar, a podcast made for medical students by medical students to help the medicine go down. This is Darby Billing and Michelle Troop. And we're third-year medical students at the University of South Carolina School of Medicine, Greenville, and we'll be your hosts today. Does the idea of having to pick out the right antiarrhythmic make your heart skip a beat? Don't worry, we've got you covered. We're going to be asking lots of questions, so feel free to pause the episode and think about the answers as needed. Take this episode as a learning opportunity. If you don't know the answers, that's okay. There are four classes of antiarrhythmic drugs, conveniently divided into classes one through four. For your board and shelf exams, it's important to know the mechanism of action and general use of each of these classes, as well as some adverse effects and unique characteristics of some of the agents. We've found that it can be helpful in thinking about these classes within the context of their overall action, rate or rhythm control. Rate control agents are used when the heart is beating too fast but in sinus or a regular rhythm. Do you know what two classes of antiarrhythmics are best for rate control? That's right. The classes of antiarrhythmics that are considered best for rate control are class two, the beta blockers, and class four, the calcium channel blockers. The first category we'll talk about are class two antiarrhythmics, the beta blockers. These drugs work by blocking sympathetic activation of beta-adrenergic receptors in the SA and AV node. What effects on cardiac tissue would you expect for sympathetic blockade to have? Exactly. Decreased heart rate, or negative inotropy, and decreased contractility, or negative chronotropy. This is what makes this class of drugs so helpful for control of rate. These drugs are especially easy to spot because they all end in olol. Metroprolol, carvedilol, propranolol, you get the idea. Knowing that this class has action in the AV node to slow heart rate, you don't have to memorize the main adverse effect in this medication class, which is AV nodal block. Do you know what type of AV block is most common with this drug class? Third degree, or complete heart block. Question writers also like to test your knowledge of beta-adrenergic receptors in the context of this drug class, but don't worry, let's do a quick review. What G-protein structure are beta-adrenergic receptors? Yes, G-alpha-S. 
And what might be the significance of beta-1 selective versus non-selective beta-adrenergic blockers? Their site of action. The memory trick one heart, two lungs helps us remember that when we think of B1 receptors, we think of receptors that are largely located in the heart, while B2 receptors are largely located in the lungs. Cardioselective beta blockers such as atenolol predominantly work on beta-1 blockade, meaning they have most of their action where? Exactly, in the heart. While non-selective beta blockers such as propranolol have action in both the heart and lungs. With this in mind, what population of patients might you not want to use a non-selective beta blocker in? Great, patients with COPD and asthma patients. Lastly, beta blockers have many additional indications such as decompensated cirrhosis, heart failure, and even essential tremor. But those specific agent indications will be discussed in other episodes, so stay tuned. Whew, that was a lot. But to quickly recap, class two antiarrhythmics are going to be easily identified by the OLAL ending and can be used for heart rate control. They work by blocking G alpha S beta adrenergic receptors and can be cardioselective or non-selective. Don't forget that since these are negative inotropes and chronotropes to watch out for the adverse effect of complete heart block. Our next class of antiarrhythmics is class four, the calcium channel blockers. There are two different types of calcium channel blockers. Do you know what those are? It's the dihydropyridines and the non-dihydropyridines. While both classes have important cardiac indications for our discussion on rate control, we will focus on the non-dihydropyridines. What are the two big drugs in this class? Yep, that's it, diltiazem and verapamil. While you may have guessed that the calcium channel blockers, well, block calcium channels, do you know the effect that they have on the AV nodal action potential? Exactly, it reduces the slope of both phase zero, the calcium uptake, and phase four, AV nodal repolarization. This prolonged AV nodal repolarization leads to both decreased contractility and decreased rate. This makes calcium channel blockers especially helpful for controlling arrhythmias like supraventricular tachycardia. They can also be helpful for rate control in AFib or A-flutter. Big side effects to look out for in this class are gingival hyperplasia and AV heart block. So if you see diltiazem or verapamil on your exam, don't stress. You know that these are calcium channel blockers working on phase zero and four to slow action through the AV node and work on supraventricular arrhythmias to decrease rate. That's rate control. But what do you do when the heart isn't just beating too fast, but is also in an irregular rhythm? That's where antiarrhythmics focused on rhythm control come into play. Do you know what two classes are used for rhythm control? Yes, our remaining two classes, class one, sodium channel blockers, and class three, potassium channel blockers. Class one are sodium channel blockers, and they, well, block sodium channels. Seems easy enough, right? Well, it's a little trickier than that, but don't worry, that's what we're here for. 
there are three subtypes of sodium channel blockers, A, B, and C. Do you know where the sodium channel blockers work? That's right, they work at the atria, ventricles, and his Purkinje system, not the SA and AV node. They work by slowing the upstroke of the action potential, which decreases the rhythm of the heart. You may hear the term use dependence discussed when talking about class one antiarrhythmics. What does use dependence mean? Right, it means that in rapidly depolarizing tissue, the sodium channels spend more time in their open or active state, which means these drugs bind more readily to them. Class 1A antiarrhythmics include three drugs, quinidine, procainamide, and disopyramide. Do class 1A have weak, intermediate, or strong binding affinity to sodium channels? Intermediate, great. Type 1A drugs also block potassium channels. What are two arrhythmias we use class 1A drugs for? Supraventricular and ventricular arrhythmias. Remember, they work at both the atria and the ventricles. There's a special type of supraventricular tachycardia that involves extra signals tracking through an accessory pathway outside the AV node that these drugs are great at treating. Do you know what that type of SVT is called? You guessed it, Wolf-Parkinsonian White Syndrome. Now that we've talked about what drugs are in class 1A antiarrhythmics and how they work, let's discuss their side effects. Quinidine has a specific side effect called syncytism. Do you know what three symptoms this syndrome contains? Great, it's tinnitus, headache, and dizziness. Rarely, this drug can cause a thrombocytopenia. Procainamide, when used long-term, can create an increased ANA titer, leading to, you guessed it, lupus-like syndrome, which is characterized by arthalgias, arthritis, pleuritis, and carditis. Disopyramide has a unique side effect and thus is contraindicated in patients with this disease. Do you know what it is? Great, it's heart failure. Disopyramide can exacerbate heart failure because of its negative inotrope. In other words, it decreases the heart's contractile strength. Because class 1A drugs act on the potassium channels, they can also cause QTC prolongation due to prolonged repolarization, increasing the risk of torsades. Torsades has a unique EKG tracing, and I encourage you to look at some EKG photos so you can familiarize yourself with it. Let's move on to class 1B antiarrhythmics. This class inclu includes two drugs, lidocaine and mexlatine. We discussed how class 1A has an intermediate binding for sodium channels. Do you think class 1B has a weak or strong affinity? That's right, they have a weak affinity. This means they act on sodium channels that are mostly open or inactive. Do you know where in the heart the sodium channels spend the most time in their open or inactive states? Great, it's in the ventricles and his Purkinjeson system since they have longer action potentials. This makes class 1B especially great at treating ventricular arrhythmias, especially in ischemic tissue like a myocardial infarction. Now that we've discussed class 1B drugs and their mechanism of actions, let's discuss some side effects. Class 1B can cause neurologic side effects like paresthesias, tremors, or convulsions.
All right, on to class 1C antiarrhythmics. Class 1C drugs in include propofenone and flecainine. Class 1A had intermediate sodium channel affinity. Class 1B has low affinity. Therefore, class 1C has a strong affinity for sodium channels. Do you know where class 1C drugs act? Great, it's in the atria and ventricles for supraventricular and ventricular arrhythmias. There's a specific type of supraventricular arrhythmia that can be treated with class 1C drugs. Some people describe this rhythm on an EKG as irregularly irregular. Do you know what that is? You guessed it, it's atrial fibrillation. And do you know when these drugs are contraindicated? In structural or ischemic heart disease because they can cause arrhythmias. Sounds counterintuitive, right? It's thought that the scarring or structural defects in the heart result in the formation of re-entry circuits causing arrhythmias. All right, to recap, class one drugs are sodium channel blockers, great. And where do they work? The atria, ventricles, and his Purkinje system. Great job. When do we use class one drugs? When the heart is beating fast and is in an irregular rhythm. What three drugs are included in class 1A? Procainamide, quinidine, and disopyramide. And what side effect is associated with procainamide? A lupus-like syndrome. How about quinidine? Cinchinism, great. And what type of arrhythmias are class 1B drugs like lidocaine and mexlatine great at treating? ventricular arrhythmias in ischemic tissue like in MIs. Alternatively, what class 1 drugs can't be used in ischemic tissue or structural heart disease because they can cause arrhythmias? Class 1C, you got it. All right, so we've talked about when you want to control the rhythm of the heart, you can use class 1 antiarrhythmics, but you can also use class 3 antiarrhythmics. Do you know what channels class 3 antiarrhythmics act on? That's right, potassium channels. Class 3 antiarrhythmics block potassium channels, allowing for the myocardium to be repolarized for longer. Do you know where class 3 antiarrhythmics act? You got it, it's the atria, ventricles, and Purkinje fibers. This means they can be used for supraventricular and ventricular arrhythmias. Like class 1C drugs, these can be used to treat that irregularly irregular rhythm of the heart, also known as AFib. Class 3 antiarrhythmics include three drugs, sotalol, amiodarone, and abutilide. Sotalol is unique because it has both class 3 and class 2 effects. Does that alol suffix sound familiar? Amiodarone also has some unique side effects and has properties of all four antiarrhythmic classes. Do you know what some of the neurologic side effects are of amiodarone? You got it. It's tremor, ataxia, peripheral neuropathy, and sleep disturbances. There's also an eye pathology associated with amiodarone which can cause halos in the vision or blindness. Do you know what that is? Yep, it's gray corneal microdeposits. And is amiodarone associated with hypo or hyperthyroidism? 
Great job. It's actually both. A large proportion of amiodarone weight is made up of iodine. Because amiodarone can deposit in the skin, what color do you think the skin would look like while taking this drug? It's gray, blue, and especially with light exposure. There's another really important pulmonary side effect associated with amiodarone, which is pulmonary fibrosis. Pulmonary fibrosis can lead to restrictive lung disease. Amiodarone can also cause a hypersensitivity hepatitis and heart block, especially because of its partial class two and four function. Okay, so we discussed a lot of side effects associated with amiodarone, including hypersensitivity hepatitis, pulmonary fibrosis, and hypo or hyperthyroidism. What three tests should we order as baseline labs before giving this drug? Great job. We need to order liver function tests, pulmonary function tests, and thyroid function tests. Because class 1A and class 3 drugs prolong the QT interval by blocking potassium channels, this increases the risk of torsades. Okay, let's recap. Class 3 drugs act on potassium channels and include amiodarone, sotalol, and abutilide. They work on the atria, ventricles, and hisperkinji fibers. They're used in supraventricular and ventricular arrhythmias, especially AFib. Amiodarone can cause hypersensitivity hepatitis, hyper or hypothyroidism, and pulmonary fibrosis, so make sure to get those PFTs, LFTs, and TFTs before prescribing this drug. Congratulations, you made it through all four classes of antiarrhythmic drugs. But don't go yet, because before we wrap up, we want to go over rapid fire some other high-yield antiarrhythmics that don't quite fit into the classes above. All right, Michelle. So what drug is a cardiac glycoside that inhibits the sodium-potassium ATPase channels that we can use in heart failure and AFib, but can sometimes cause blurry yellow vision? Digoxin. Great job. And Derby, what antiarrhythmic pushes potassium out of cells to hyperpolarize the cell and decreases AV node conduction, but is known to cause flushing? Is that adenosine? Sure is. All right, Michelle, and let's say you were using one of our class three drugs and your patient's tachycardic, you get an EKG and it shows that they're in torsades. Or maybe you have a patient on digoxin, but you overshot it a little bit and gave them too much. How do we treat them? I think that's magnesium. You got it. And last one, we have a drug that slows depolarization by inhibiting the funny sodium channels. It's useful in chronic stable angina or chronic heart failure in patients who can't take beta blockers. And it can cause some visual brightness, which is known as luminous phenomena. That'd be ivabrating. You're exactly right. So there are four classes of antiarrhythmic drugs that we've talked about today, conveniently divided into classes one to four. Class two antiarrhythmics, the beta blockers, and class four, the calcium channel blockers, help with rate control. Class one, the sodium channel inhibitors, and class three, the potassium channel blockers, help with rhythm control. 
for rate control, class 2 antiarrhythmics end in OLAL and should not be used in patients with asthma or COPD. Class 4 antiarrhythmics are calcium channel blockers and include diltiazem and verapamil. Class 1 and 3 antiarrhythmics can be used for rhythm control. Class 1A sodium channel blockers include quinidine, procainamide, and disapiramide. Don't forget, quinidine can cause syncytism and procainamide can cause a lupus-like syndrome. Disapiramide is contraindicated in heart failure. Class 1B sodium channel blockers include lidocaine and mexlatine and can cause neurologic side effects. Don't forget about class 1C propafenone and flaconide used in AFib. Class 3 potassium channel antiarrhythmics like sodalol, ipudilide, and amirodorone can be used in supraventricular and ventricular arrhythmias like AFib. Amiodarone can cause hypo or hyperthyroidism, pulmonary fibrosis, and hypersensitivity hepatitis. So remember to get those liver function tests, pulmonary function tests, and thyroid function tests before prescribing this drug. Thank you for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe to our podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, visit our website at spoonfulofsugar.org and post them under the link for this episode. Good luck with your studying, and remember, if you ever have an SOS moment while studying, Spoonful of Sugar is always here to help the medicine go down.